Exodus chapter 20 is uh, where we're going to be at today. Uh, same text as last week. Uh, we're going to be looking at um, kind of the latter, actually just one verse. I'll just uh, admit it. Uh, I had this plan to break this into two parts. Last week, I really worked hard to lay a foundation and then um, cover the first four commandments. And I thought I could do the same on this second week. Um, I, I honestly got stuck on one and we're gonna do one commandment today. And uh, so I, I don't know what that means for next week or the week after that. But anyway, um, that's where we're at. So Exodus chapter 20, while you're turning there, uh, let me remind you of a couple things. Uh, one, Jonathan and Ellie Baird are gonna be baptized out of the TV bar pond right after our third service. So uh, third service ends, 1220, 1225, something like that. And so usually it's around one o'clock out at the TV Ball Pond. And so we'd love for you to be a part of that. Emmy Bates, many of you know Emmy. She came forward uh, for baptism in the 830 service. And so she's gonna be baptized when we plan her baptism. And then finally, the Howards contacted me this morning. They're on their way to Texas. And they just asked that we would lift up their family, lift up Lawson uh, uh, in all three services. And so we're gonna do that. Uh, they're starting a kind of a long season of treatments for her. And so let's, let's pray for them when we, after we read our text, we'll, we'll pray for Lawson and, and pray for the Howard family, okay? So Exodus 20, I'm gonna begin reading in verse one. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath to the Lord. Your God on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that, that the Lord your God is giving to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet on the mountain smoking, the people were afraid. They trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you and that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Father, we rejoice this morning in the power of the gospel. Father, we rejoice at the Holy Spirit's work of changing hearts, of taking out a heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh. God, we rejoice at the power of the gospel to give new desires, to give a new will, to give power over sin. Father, we rejoice in Jesus, our Savior, our Advocate, our Redeemer. 
Father, we pray that you would make the gospel crisp and clear in our minds today. We pray that it might be our new operating system. Father, we ask for grace for the Howard family. Father, just asking that you would just be with Lawson, that you would bring healing to her body, that you would take all the sickness away. God, that you would do a miracle of grace, Father, in, in touching that little girl. God, that you would give, give them perseverance, God, for this season. Give them faith. God, show them your, your greatness, your glory, your goodness. Father, we ask for your presence near to them. Father, we, uh, we pray, Father, speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now I know I'm gonna wear you out on this, and so I feel like it's, it's safer if I just tell you I know I'm gonna wear you out on this, and then it somehow it'd be more palatable. Um, but I, I am going to review over and over again this reality that we cannot be saved by good works, okay? Uh, now, why, why do I feel like I, you know, we did most of the sermon last week was simply that, okay? Why do we need to do it again? Uh, I think there is this entrenched, um, entrenched doctrine, maybe that isn't even taught, that's just kind of in our, our fleshly DNA, that's so ingrained in our hearts, um, that it takes radical measures to jar it out of us. Um, Americans seem to be especially susceptible to this, uh, this reality that, or this false reality that a person can be good, that they can be good enough to go to heaven, that Christianity is about somehow being good. Um, I think you couple that with this cultural Jesus that really isn't glorious, that really isn't fantastic, that really isn't fierce, um, that he's just like a guy that did some good things and, oh, hey, by the way, be a good person and affirm his existence and somehow there's this poisonous, false gospel that I believe is almost inoculating people from, from the true gospel. It, it, it's almost such that when people begin to believe that and are entrenched in this good works, that, that whenever they hear the true gospel, they just kind of take it and put it in the category of their false gospel. So in other words, I think a person can hear these truths over and over again. You can't be saved by works. You can't be saved by a good, a good person. Again and again and again. But every time they hear it, they just kind of shift it over. Oh yeah, you gotta believe in Jesus too. You know, and, and, but it's still there. And there was, there was confirmation of this this last week. Uh, someone who basically gave that exact testimony. And so we, we've got to jar this out of our congregation, okay? And by the way, it's not a new thing. It's not a new thing. You open up your New Testament, there's this great story in Matthew 19. This really great guy comes to Jesus. Uh, Matthew 19 is called the rich young ruler and, and says, hey, Jesus, what, what, do, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And, you know, first of all, Jesus, he, he's, he's, he's trying to undo this bad theology. And he's like, hey, there's only one who's good, right? Now, what was that meant to do? That was meant to jar him. Well, if there's only one that's good. It's surely not me, right? But it doesn't. He just, he just falls right in line. Like, he's inoculated to it. And, and so Jesus lists the commandments. You know, he says, don't murder. Shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And in verse 20, it says, the young man said to him, all these I have kept, all of them I've kept. Like, what, what else is there? In other words, Jesus lists the commandments. He's like, check, 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 check. Like, I got him. Like, in his mind, he is good. He is a good person. He is worthy of heaven. God sees him that way. And so then Jesus throws him the gospel and basically says, hey, 
I'm the greatest treasure there ever was. Give up your treasure and come and I will give you unimaginable treasure beyond your wildest beliefs. And the guy walks away. Why? Because Jesus wasn't his treasure. He, he didn't trust that Jesus was who he says he was. He says who he is, says, is who he says he is. He, he, he didn't believe that. Luke 19, uh, 18, I'm sorry, Luke 18. Not another, another, I'll just read this one. Um, we'll begin in verse uh, 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. Here you got a guy in church and he's looking around and, he, and he's just applauding himself. He's like, man, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Man, I, I know that family. I know they're, they're all their junk. I know where they're from. I know what they've done. I went to high school with that guy over there, man. He's a jerk. Man, I know what he did. I remember. It was in the paper. Then he, he's just applauding himself as he compares himself to the people around him. And he's assuring himself as, of his own righteousness. Then he even lists some of his good deeds. Uh, verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Man, I've got these good, good deeds. And then there's this other guy in the temple. It says, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that guy went out justified and not the other. You see, it's not a new thing, guys. From from New Testament time, from Bible times, there, there are there are, have always been people, there have always been men, there's always been women, there's always been students who feel like I am a good person. I am, I am good and, and God will let me into heaven. I will be right with God. I am forgiven of whatever sins I have because of my own righteousness. That is a lie that will condemn you to hell. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna jump over the fifth commandment. We may come back to it. Uh, and I, I want to settle on the sixth commandment. Now, why the sixth commandment? Because if there were ever a commandment that you could check, it's this one, okay? Like, like I, I, if there were one that, that we could be certain of, you know, that we could be like, okay, I got that one, you know? Maybe not the idle thing. Maybe the covetous, that's pretty tough. Only your father and mother, really, even when I was a toddler, you know? Like, like that one's a little wishy-washy, right? But if there's ever one that we could be like, I've got this one, it would be the sixth, right? It would be, you shall not murder, Okay? That would be the one we could check off. So that's the one I wanna look at for the rest of our time today, okay? Now, first of all, before we get to whether we can check it off or not, let's, let's ask, what is it saying about God? Okay, one of the things that we talked about uh, last week was whenever God reveals his commands, what is it? he's revealing his nature, he's revealing who he is, he's revealing his character, all right? So what does you shall not murder say about God? Well, I believe what it says about God is that he is the life giver, okay? In Genesis 2, 7, the creation story, you have this beautiful picture of God, God creating man and, and then him breathing life into man, breathing the breath of life into man. God 
is the life giver. In John 14, 6, Jesus said of himself, I am the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life. In Acts 3, 15, it describes Jesus as the author of life. In Revelation 1, 17 and 18, it describes Jesus as having the keys of death and Hades, of being alive forevermore. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. God is the owner. God is the sustainer of life. God is the giver of life. He is the creator of life. Jesus Christ is this power plant of everlasting resurrection life, and there is no life apart from him. You must be joined to him. God is the author of life, and man is created in God's image. So in Genesis 1.26, in the creation story, it says that man is created in the image of God, male and female, in God's image, okay? Now, now first of all, all men, all women, all, all humanity, every race, every nation, every color, every language, every culture of men and women, from the South Seas cannibal to the Islamic Taliban fighter, to the criminal on death row, to the Manhattan socialite, to the Hollywood superstar, to the leper in India, to the meth addict in Woodward, to Joe Biden, to Donald Trump, every one of them created in the image of God. Now, I know the image has been marred. Right? When I think of it, I think of a, a broken mirror. Have you ever looked in a broken mirror, a shattered mirror? You know, it, it's all distorted, it's all broken, but you can still, you can still see your image there, right? That, that's what sin has done to humanity. But the reality is we are created in the image of God. Every person is an image bearer. That's why it is incredibly important that you be careful how you treat people. To murder is to strike out against the image of God. It is, it is his image you are attacking when you slander, when you, when you, when you bully, when, when, you, when you pressure, when you, 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 are, you are doing that to an image bearer. And so, I shall not murder teaches us about the life-giving nature, character of our God, about the character of man that we're made in the image of God speaks loudly about that. Now, throughout this sermon, I wanna take some little rabbit trails. Now, it's full enough where I can't go very far. What I'd like to do is, every time we pass one, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take two steps, just, just look down the rabbit trail, okay? And then we're gonna get back on the main trail, okay? Now, I do not believe in the Old Testament that when God said, you shall not murder, I do not believe he was speaking of capital punishment or war, okay? Now, why would I say that? Well, Exodus 20 is what we just read. If you go to Exodus 21, verse 12, he says, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death, okay? So it would seem horribly inconsistent of God to command one thing in Exodus 20 and then command a different thing in Exodus 21. And I think as we walk through this sermon, I don't think we have to go very far down that trail because I think it's gonna be really clear what God means by murder, okay? I don't believe it's war. Why? Well, if we go back two chapters to Exodus 17, this was a passage we looked at a couple weeks ago when the Israelites were fighting the Amalekites and Moses stands on the hill with his staff raised up and Aaron and Hur hold his hands up and Joshua defeats the Amalekites. I don't believe, I don't see that. It's really seems to be very clear that God is not speaking of things like capital punishment by the state or of things like war. In Romans 13, three and four, the last verse there, he talks about that the government does not bear the sword in vain, okay? So, so okay, those were two little rabbit trails not back on the, the, the trail, okay? So, so the issue is not 
a box to check. Have, have I not murdered? The issue is a heart righteousness, okay? So when God reveals his commands, he's revealing to us his heart. God is a life giver, okay? And he's revealing the heart that we must have to be right with him. God is revealing his love and he's revealing what kind of love we must have, all right? In, in Matthew 23, 25, um, Jesus is speaking to some law keepers, to some guys that thought they could be good enough to be righteous before God. And he says this to them. He says in verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence, okay? Now we all know that would be horribly silly to only worry about the outside of your bowls, all right, so um, I, I know at my house, I know none of you guys do this, and so um, please don't judge our family. It's not nice. It's against the Bible. Um, but we eat Fruity Pebbles, okay? I know, I know you guys eat like great grains and oatmeal and twigs and sticks and stuff. I'm really happy for you. Uh, but we, we eat Fruity Pebbles. Now, well, if you know, if you, some of you have never experienced this, but if you, if you eat Fruity, Fruity Pebbles and you leave a little bit in the bowl, man, if that, when that stuff steps up, it's like concrete. Like, I, I think it actually protects your insides it like has a coating because man, it like you got to chip it off, right? And you got to scrub. Okay, how silly would it be if the Dirks family just washed the outside of the cup? You know, if we just washed the outside of the bowl and we, we got it just spick and span so outside in the cupboard as you open it up, man, it looks great. But you, you, you pull that dude off and there's 20 years of fruity pebbles, you know, cemented into the inside and you go ahead and dump your food in there. I mean, that's gross, right? And, and Jesus is, 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 is giving this illustration of how most people approach righteousness. He says, you, you go to church and you just make sure that the outside looks good. Man, a lot of people put incredible pressure upon their family with this. Like, guys, we gotta look good, you know? Like, we can't tell, we can't, we can't, we can't let it out to people who we really are. Well, Jesus, when he talks about the sixth commandment, he says in Matthew 5, 21, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. All right now, what, what did Jesus just say there? Well, basically he said, a heart full of anger, resentment, bitterness, venomous words aimed at hurting others is guilty of breaking the sixth commandment. Now, he didn't say it was the same as. Some, some people get a little silly here. You know, they're like, well, I thought it in my heart, so I might as well kill him. You know, it's the same deal. Well, it's actually not, you know. We, we don't have to do a funeral. A mom doesn't, you know, not have a son. A, a wife doesn't have a mother. You know, I mean, obviously, it's not the, the same consequence, okay? But we're not talking about consequences here. We're talking about guilt, we're talking about you being guilty before God Almighty, you being a murderer in your heart. And Jesus says the guilt is the same. He says if you have simmering anger, if you got fury, you're liable to the judgment. Jesus creates a scenario where it's possible to never have physically murdered anybody, even physically harmed anyone else, and yet you've broken habitually the sixth commandment throughout your whole life. Guys, God sees the heart. When we open the scriptures, when we receive the commandments, you gotta be thinking heart because God is looking at your heart. It's really, it's really, I think, beyond our understanding, what would it be like to always see people's hearts? Like, we just can't do that right now. 
Like we, we can't see. We, uh, it's very possible that there are people in this room right now that are so furious with somebody that they, they, they literally are, are, are imagining ways to hurt that person without getting in trouble. And we would never know it. But what if we knew it? There's this, uh, we got a new TV. We kind of stepped into the new age. Ours is only about this big, not like some of your drive-ins, okay? But, but it is new. And, and all of a sudden, we, uh, something happened like the new TVs have like something in them that we got all these channels that we didn't get before. I think they're internet. They're, it's mostly news. But anyway, we stumbled upon one that is all that Asher wants to watch. It's called Fail Army. And, and it's, it's essentially people wrecking on things. Just, and, and they loop it. Like, you know, it's wrecking on skateboards. It's just like mishaps and calamities. It's, it's really fascinating that he really wants to watch that because like he is that. But anyway, like, like that's, that's all he wants to watch. And so I've seen this, this thing loop over and over and over again. And there's this one, this one scene that's really interesting to me. And it's of a family. It's three sons. Uh, they're, they're little. Maybe the oldest is like 12. The youngest is like four or five or six. I don't know. Uh, but three sons. It looks like it's New Year's Eve. And, and their mom and dad are in the background and they bought them these popper deals like that you pull and they, you know, pop out, they explode and all that stuff goes out. Anyway, they put them this and I think it must be New Year's Eve or whatever because they're like, oh, okay, you know, you can't hear anything, but, but they all like pop their poppers, okay? Except for the oldest guy, the oldest son, he's like has a little trouble with his and like while he's trying to figure it out, he, he moves the aim and, and when he finally pops it, he hits the middle son right in the head with it, you know? And so the dude like goes down, he's like, ah! you know? And, and you see the older dude kind of like snicker, you know, like, you know? And, and then since I've watched it so many times, I don't even worry about anything else but the littlest guy, okay? The littlest guy, he pops his fine, but they pop more than once. He pops his fine. And then he's watching what just happened with his brothers. And, and like, literally, you can see it in his face. You know, you know when you can tell what somebody's thinking? Well, you can see it in his face. And like, slowly, he's like processing this, and he gets this big smile on his face, and he turns the, the, the older brother's just like sitting on the floor. He turns point blank range, like, you know, like six inches, you know, and just like whammo, you know, like, right. And, and like, but you can just see like long before the field was launched, the dude had murder in his heart, you know? He's thinking, I could hurt my older brother. My, my older brother just hurt, my, I, you know, hey, you know? And like, you just see the thought process of, imagine if it, if it was always like that, you know? Like you could just see murderous intent in people, all right? So the way I look at what Jesus is saying here is, is almost like there's this line, okay? And I've explained it this way before. This, it makes sense to me to think about it. There's this line, okay? And so if, you, if you're on the line, you know, the line eventually ends in murder, okay? So like right here would be the, the line of, of knife, trigger, you know, gun, like you actually take somebody's life, okay? But the reality is, is that, that way down here, you're, you're on the same trajectory, okay? So, so when you're here, you're, you're angry with somebody, you're furious with somebody, you wanna hurt them, you, you want harm to come to them, you want them to pay for what they've done, and somewhere in here, you, you, you're angry enough to actually verbalize that, you know, in slander, in malicious gossip, or, or maybe just a real strategic conversation where you throw somebody's character under the bus, or you, you strategically have a conversation at work that gets this guy in trouble, maybe gets him fired, you know, you know, slander, 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 until all the way there's, there's the ability, the willingness to do physical harm, okay? Now, a lot of times we would say, well, okay, I agree with you, Jason, that I, 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 I've been really angry. I've been, I've been angry in my heart and, and that simmered, but you know what? It's never gone past verbal abuse. It's never gone past a comment. It's never gone past gossip. It's always stayed right here. So obviously I'm better than this guy. I'm better than this 
murder. Well, let me just ask you, are you really better or, or were there just different circumstances in your life that fueled or didn't fuel you getting there? Okay, I mean, I'll just give you my conviction. I, I, think, I think there's a lot of things that happen with this guy that, that just maybe didn't happen with somebody else. Now, I, I think there's absolutely a spiritual element. Obviously, we're gonna talk about that in a minute. Repentance, faith, gospel, okay? But what I'm saying is sometimes the guy that's here is there and not here because of the upbringing of his life. Maybe he had an abusive dad that beat him, you know, his whole upbringing. Maybe, maybe he had a, an abusive mom that verbally abused him his, his whole upbringing. Maybe, maybe he's had tragedy. Maybe he has, he's had constant pain or maybe there's dry. I, I don't know. I just know. There are things that fuel you along this line or restrain you along this line. But here's the reality. If you're on the line, you're on the line. Like if your heart is, I am angry. I don't want to love somebody. I want, I want them to be hurt. I am indifferent to their well-being. Well, you're on the line. There's all kinds of circumstances that move you one way or another, but you're still on the line. And so what Jesus is saying here is that anger, an angry heart is a is against the character of God. And one of the one of the great things we could do today is just stop saying that anger's okay. You know, just stop acting like having a malicious spirit is is okay. Stop acting, stop justifying it. We we're really good at not seeing our own anger clearly. Why? Because we're trying to make ourselves righteous, okay? So when you, when you put this in the context of we're all trying to make ourselves righteous, well, then you're, you're never gonna see your anger like you ought to see it. Ed Wilkes wrote a great article. He said some really interesting things. He said, we, under, we, we always underestimate our own anger's frequency and its impact on others. We, other people always underestimate the impact of their anger on us. And then he said this, he says, our anger feels like I am right. Isn't that where our anger most of the time, why is it I am right? We're justifying ourselves, right? Like our anger is, well, I'm, I'm, I'm right. You, you better, I mean, we're Jonah. Remember when God kills the plant, you know, and, and he asked Jonah, should you be angry about this? And Jonah's like, you bet I should. But actually, our anger says, I hate you. I'm above you. I know everybody's always gonna pull out the, whoa, 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 Jason. Jesus was angry. You're absolutely right, he was. John chapter two, verse 13 through 17, cleansing of the temple. And, and, and that was a righteous anger. Is there a righteous anger? Yes, there is. Okay, but, but I would just point out to you that when Jesus was falsely accused, when he was maligned, when he was spit upon, when he was beaten, when he was mocked, when he was whipped, when he was scourged, when he was crucified, he was not angry. He responded and Father, forgive them. He responded in life-giving action for those who heard him. It, when he was angry, was when the glory of God was being dishonored, when the temple was being turned into a garage sale bazaar. That's when he was angry. And so do, do you have a slice of your anger that is, is completely for the glory? Maybe, maybe. I think it's probably rare, but I hope. I hope there are things in our world, hope, hope things like the sex trade and things like uh, um, the abuse of orphans and things like the, the martyrdom. I hope those things make you angry in a righteous way. But I think most all of our anger falls into another category. So it's a huge spiritual step 
to admit. I think just to admit. And I've broken the sixth commandment. Like, man, I, I've never pulled the trigger and praise God that, that he has put restraining forces in my life that I haven't ever done that. Thank you, Lord. But, but God, I, I affirm and admit that I've had a heart that is opposite of yours. I've had a heart that has been selfishly angry, that is, has fueled resentment, that has been bitter, that has lashed out in insults and attempting to harm people. Or God, I've treated people with indifference and I've fueled unforgiveness in my heart. Now, I want you to think about what that step does, okay? When you embrace that step, you do a couple things happen, really healthy things. Number one, you stop pretending that you have a righteousness that you don't have. Like, I think if you can get to the sixth commandment and say, yeah, I've broken it. Like, like I think all the rest of them, you're like, yeah, I've broken them too, <laughs> you know? Like, like, no, it's not gonna work for me to, to justify myself. I think it keeps you from comparing yourself to other people, which is really silly, you know? I mean, when you think about the line, really what you're saying is that guy's a worse murderer than me, you know? Like, I'm a murderer, but that guy's a worse murderer. I mean, you, you stop doing that. And instead, instead of those things, you begin to marvel at the love of God for you. You begin to marvel that God loves sinners, that God loves you in your sin. You begin to marvel at Jesus' perfect righteousness and how Jesus fulfilled the law. And you begin to turn to Jesus for a new heart. That, that, that's, that's such a huge step for people. When you stop justifying yourself and you say, God, I am hopelessly broken on my own. I need a new heart from you. Holy Spirit, I need a, a, a power beyond myself to change my heart. Jesus, I need to follow you. I need to trust you. You're the only way for me to be right with God. And if you'll notice in, in the Matthew 5 passage, it's really interesting because Jesus talks about this heart, heart, the, the breaking of the sixth commandment from the heart, and then he immediately moves from there to worship, okay? So, so look, at, look at verse 23, uh, Matthew 5, same passage we were in. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, right? So when he, when he talks about breaking the sixth commandment in your heart, he immediately moves to, to a worship service, right? If you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come quickly, uh, make, 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 make restitution, make reconciliation. All right, isn't it interesting that Jesus moves directly to a worship service after talking about the condition of anger in your heart? And what he's saying is, your anger affects your righteousness with God. Your anger affects your communion. I'm sorry, your communion, your fellowship with God. Notice in verse 23, if your brother has something against you, isn't that interesting? It's, it's not even your beef. If your brother has something against you, this is not just saying, don't, don't curse people, don't strike people, don't kill people. This is saying so much more. You know what it's saying? Love people. You hear that, guys? That's the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. What, what God is saying is love people. Love like God has loved us. Love like Jesus has loved you. He, he goes directly from, from, you heard it said you shall not murder, but you've been angry, you're liable to judgment, you're liable to hell. And then he goes directly to a worship service where he says, if, if you're gonna worship God, you, you've gotta initiate relationships, reconciliation. Here's where indifference 
is a trap, okay? So here's what where, here's where a lot of people will do. They're on the line, okay? And they've got this anger in their heart, but, but not only are they cleaning that outside of that cup for everybody else, but they're also shining up for themselves. And, and, they, and they pull this number. Well, you know what? I, I could care less about that guy. I don't care what he says. I don't care what he thinks. You know, I got nothing to do with him. This even happens in marriage. One of the most common things I see with anger in marriage is you have, you have the cases where it, it erupts in, in, in harsh words and horrible words and even physical violence, sometimes even murder. Okay, but more often, married people pull indifference. It's just like, hey, I'm not gonna speak harshly. I'm not gonna, not gonna say anything mean to you. I'm just gonna give you the cold indifference of you don't really matter. That's a murderous heart. To treat people like they don't matter. That's where James was at in partiality. When he talks about rich people and poor people and maybe you said nothing mean to somebody, but you simply treated them as if they don't matter. Murder. And that's why here in Matthew 5, he says, if you know your brother has something against you, you go. You go to them. You know what the really bad news? In Matthew 18, it says, if your brother sins against you, you go to them. <laughs> so in which situation do you go? Both. You go. Like you go, like you, like you, you, you love is what he's saying. He's saying, man, you, you love people. Think about the gospel here. The gospel is what just really brings us together. Okay, who made the offense between us and God? Who was that? It was us, wasn't it? God's creator, he's sustainer, he's the author of life. His mercies and goodness have, have been showered upon us and we did not want him. We, we rejected him, we didn't trust him. And, and isn't it beautiful, my friends, that God was not indifferent to us? Isn't that great? Isn't that great that God didn't stand back and said, well, you know, they don't want me, so, you know, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just stand over here. I'll be here if y'all need me. No. God came after us. God went. He went. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All this is from God. This is verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God went. In the gospel, we have this new operating system. It is the basis for our righteousness with God and it is the basis of our righteousness with other people, all right? Now, now all of a sudden in the New Testament, you find all these verses like Ephesians 4.32 that says, you should forgive because Christ has forgiven you. What, what is it saying there? The whole, the whole operation principle for your forgiveness, for your reconciliation is what Christ has done for you. 
That's why we have these parables like Matthew 18 where there's this this king and this servant and the servant owes him 10,000 talents and he can never pay. And and the king says, we're gonna be put in jail forever. And and then the the servant pleads for for mercy and the king just gives him mercy and wipes it all away. But then when the guy walks down the stairs to his fellow servant who owes him 20 bucks and grabs him by the throat, the king's like, wait, wait, wait. We've got a new operating system here. You see, you're not operating on this old law, hey, I'm righteous, I'm more righteous than you, I'm comparing my, and I'm more righteous than you, no, 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 now you're operating on the operating system of gospel, and my friends, there is something life-transforming, powerful about gospel. You seen the movie Les Miserables, uh, one of my favorites, and, and, and in the movie, okay, you have this guy who totally deserves judgment. He has committed an offense and a crime that he should be rightfully judged for. But the, the people who he committed the crime against turn this gospel thing on him, okay, in the sense that they just shower grace. Instead of judgment, instead of condemnation, they, they, they just load up this riches of grace and dump it on him. And he walks away and never sees him again. But that changes that guy forever. And now when when he faces situations in his life, even to his own detriment, he acts in grace. He acts in sacrificial giving of himself. Why? Because he's been changed by grace. And to make the movie even better, I don't know if you've seen the movie, make the movie even better, there's this subline of this constable and he's all law. He's all rules, and he, he can't ever figure out these grace people to his own death. My friends, the gospel changes you. Grace is what changes you. Now, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, okay, Pastor, you just said go. You said, you know, you quoted Matthew 5, you know, if you're offering your gift, at the, remember your brother, something against you, go to, you know, pastor, what, what, if, what if I've tried? What if, what if there is, is still continuing sin against me? What, what, if, what if the reconciliation is not possible? Listen, the Bible, the Bible covers that. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. I mean, there's, a, there's absolutely scenarios. Our brothers in India, they, they, they've, they've got a whole government. They've got a whole class of people that are just persecuting them. And, and they're really, as far as I can see, there's no reconciliation there possible until, until God changes those, those Hindus' hearts, okay? But, but it's still on our brother's plate as far as it depends on them to be at peace. See, instead of looking at the scriptures as do nots, look at them as do's. So you have do not murder, but, but even the fulfillment of that is do love. You have do not steal, but the fulfillment of that is do work hard and give. You have do not lie, but the fulfillment of that is do speak the truth. Okay, quickly, we've got time for this. Okay, we're gonna hit two more rabbit trails. We're gonna take two steps and then we're just gonna get right back on, Okay. Suicide, um, it is murder. It, it is self-murder. When, when the Bible says in Genesis 20, do not murder, it, it is talking also about your own life, okay? Listen, my friends, your life is not yours to take. God is the giver of life. God is the author of life. 
Okay, now, now let, let's, let's hold that thought. I'm gonna come right back to that, okay? And, and let, let's, 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 do some, let's do some truth speaking here, okay? The world is filled with suffering. And please understand, okay? Those of us in this room who have not experienced very much of that, please understand, everybody does not have an equal amount, okay? Like, like there are people in this world who have endured unimaginable pain and loss, and there are other folks in this world who have hard, hard, had hardly any of that. And, and I think there, there's, there's reason for us, there's good reason for us, no matter which side you're on of that, to embrace that. If you're on the side like me and you, you haven't had unimaginable suffering your whole life, you, you need to... You need to factor that in when you are ministering to people who have. If you are that person that just from the beginning, you've had nothing but hurt and pain and trial, you need not look at other people and say, well, how do they get by so easily? (laughs) Well, they haven't had what you've had. But to both those groups of people, please hear this out. In Christ, your suffering is never in vain. Please hear that. 2 Corinthians 4, okay? 2 Corinthians 4 says that for those who endure suffering in Christ, holding on to Jesus, not one drop of that will ever be in vain, but God will turn it all for glory. Please hear me out there. It's not for nothing. God will not abandon you. There is hope in him. God will always give grace sufficient to the time in need in the gospel. Please hear this out. In the gospel, God has taken the majority of your suffering. When you stretch out your life into eternity, when you stretch out for me, February 26, 1972, all the way into billions of years of eternity, let me tell you, in the gospel, Jesus has taken almost all of the suffering that I will ever have to endure. The pain and the judgment and the loss and the wrath that I would have in hell forever, Jesus has taken that upon himself and he will do that for you. I think we have to put that in perspective. Don't deny those truths. Don't live and act as if there's no gospel. Now, does suicide, this is the question I always get, does suicide condemn a person to an eternity under the judgment of God? Now, if we are operating under the principle that we are saved by works, that we are saved by obeying the commands, then obviously if you end your life by breaking the sixth commandment. But my friends, what have we talked about the last two weeks? That, that is not the way anybody is saved. We are not saved by works. We are saved by being joined in a faith relationship, by repenting of our sin, seeing the glory of Jesus, being joined in a faith relationship to Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that his righteous life is put in our account and our sin is paid for on the cross. That's the only way anybody is saved. Now, the next question, obviously, would be, well, does suicide, does that indicate a sign of fruitless faith? Does that indicate a life of unbelief? Well, here's what I know. The last act you do does not determine whether you have faith in Christ. Did, did you hear that? Like, like, we don't think that way, do we? Like, like, 
Like if, if, if you live a life of following Jesus and treasuring Jesus and obeying Jesus, and then you get in your car and, and you're headed down the interstate and, and your kid does something really squirrely and you've had a migraine headache for two hours and you turn around and lash out at him in anger right as you hit the semi, well, does that mean that you weren't saved? Well, again, you're saved or lost based on whether you are joined to Jesus Christ. And I don't think the last act of your life indicates your whole life. I don't believe that one isolated event determines whether you had faith in Jesus. Now, let's, let's go to the other side. This is one of those where we have to keep going back and forth. On the other hand, is it significant? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, listen, I, I do not want to leave this world in sin. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't want to do that. I, I, I don't want the last thing that I do before I, I walk into eternity to be, to be rebel against my, my father. But I absolutely hold out hope for those who maybe had a momentary lapse of despairing sin in the midst of a faithful and fruitful life. Okay, that would be my summary statement. One more, two steps, abortion. Yes, it's murder. I, I think it can be a little confusing because we, we just made this case that, that, that on this line, you, you have this hatred, you have unforgiveness, you have this simmering anger where you keep stirring up and fueling anger against somebody and you won't let it go and, and, and you lash out in verbal abuse, and, right? right? And, and you're like, well, hey, isn't it possible that a, 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 a mom and a dad, that they, they don't have hatred toward, toward their unborn baby? But here's what I would say. They have indifference. You, you see, to, to, say, to say my life, my comfort, my college, my, my, my earning ability, my, my reputation, my, my ease is worth enough for me to disregard your life and take it. That is murder. It's indifference. Indifference is hatred of a different kind. Now, does Jesus forgive? Yes, yes. Hear that, moms. Hear that, dads. I have beautiful testimonies in this church of women who, who at a difficult, horrible season in their life, made that decision, came to complete and utter repentance over that and have lived a life of advocating for children and for orphans and for, for, for mothers in, in need. A beautiful testimonies in, in this church of women who've done just that. Against the gospel, Jesus was willing to give his life in order to save ours. That's the commandment. That's the commandment. My friends, if you're here this morning, you cannot be saved on good works. You cannot be saved by obeying the commands. You haven't. You've broken them all. But there is a Savior, Jesus, who has lived the perfect life on your behalf, who has died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin that you might be forgiven completely who is raised into glory and invites you to himself, would you come? Come to him. Put your faith in him. Repent of your sin. Come to him and receive a new heart.
And then, then as, 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 as you get on this line, then, then all of a sudden, the Lord convicts you, the Holy Spirit convicts you and, you, and you begin to repent of sin, you begin to make things right. Well, here's, here's the deal about a believer, we don't stay here, right? Like, do, do we still get on the line? Yep, and then, oh, conviction, oh, I'm gonna love that person, we get off, right? We don't, we don't stay on it. It's, it's called repentance, always repenting. The beauty of the Christian life. I want you to have that today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I ask for clarity, Lord, in every heart. God, I pray that each, each ear that is listening would hear very clearly the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Jesus Christ, perfect life lived on our behalf, the beauty of Jesus' death, paying for our sins. God, show them. God, I pray that there might be much repenting this morning, repenting of anger. God, I pray that there'd be repenting of indifference. God, I, I pray if there's marriages that are just cold to one another, God, that, that they would call that for what it is and, and that there would be repentance. And God, that you would enable us to, to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love one another as you have loved us. Father, bring that about in us. Stir that up in us. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.